Chapter Four of I Say No. This recording is in the public domain. I Say No by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Four Miss Ladd's Drawing Master. Francine was awakened the next morning by one of the housemaids bringing up her breakfast on a tray. Astonished at this concession to laziness, in an institution devoted to the practice of all virtues, she looked round. The bedroom was deserted. The other young ladies are as busy as bees, miss, the housemaid explained. They were up and dressed two hours ago, and the breakfast has been cleared away long since. It's Miss Emily's fault. She wouldn't allow them to wake you. She said you could be of no possible use downstairs, and you had better be treated like a visitor. Miss Cecilia was so distressed at your missing your breakfast that she spoke to the housekeeper. And I was sent up to you. Please to excuse it if the tea's cold. This is grand day, and we are all topsy turvy in consequence. Inquiring what grand day meant, and why it produced this extraordinary result in a ladies' school, Francine discovered that the first day of the vacation was devoted to the distribution of prizes in the presence of parents, guardians, and friends. An entertainment was added. Comprising those merciless tests of human endurance called recitations, light refreshments and musical performances being distributed at intervals to encourage the exhausted audience. The local newspaper sent a reporter to describe the proceedings, and some of Miss Ladd's young ladies enjoyed the intoxicating luxury of seeing their names in print. It begins at three o'clock, the housemaid went on. And what with practising and rehearsing and ornamenting the schoolroom, there's a hubbub fit to make a person's head spin. Besides which, said the girl, lowering her voice and approaching a little nearer to Francine, we have all been taken by surprise. The first thing in the morning, Miss Jethro left us without saying good-bye to anybody. Who is Miss Jethro? The new teacher, Miss. We none of us liked her. And we all suspect something's wrong. Miss Ladd and the clergyman had a long talk together yesterday, in private, you know, and they sent for Miss Jethro, which looks bad, doesn't it? Is there anything more I can do for you, Miss? It's a beautiful day after the rain. If I was you, I should go and enjoy myself in the garden. Having finished her breakfast, Francine decided on profiting by this sensible suggestion. The servant who showed her the way to the garden was not favourably impressed by the new pupil. Francine's temper asserted itself a little too plainly in her face. To a girl possessing a high opinion of her own importance, it was not very agreeable to feel herself excluded as an illiterate stranger from the one absorbing interest of her schoolfellows. Will the time ever come? she wondered bitterly, when I shall win a prize and sing and play before all the company. How I should enjoy making the girls envy me! A broad lawn overshadowed at one end by fine old trees, flower beds, and shrubberies, and winding paths, prettily and invitingly laid out, made the garden a welcome refuge on that fine summer morning. The novelty of the scene, after her experience in the West Indies, 
the delicious breezes cooled by the rain of the night exerted their cheering influence even on the sullen disposition of francine she smiled in spite of herself as she followed the pleasant paths and heard the birds singing their summer songs over her head wandering among the trees which occupied a considerable extent of ground she passed into an open space beyond and discovered an old fish-pond overgrown by aquatic plants driblets of water trickled from a dilapidated fountain in the middle on the further side of the pond the ground sloped downward towards the south and revealed over a low paling a pretty view of a village and its church backed by fir woods mounting the heath sides of a range of hills beyond a fanciful little wooden building imitating the form of a swiss cottage was placed so as to command the prospect near it in the shadow of the building stood a rustic chair and table with a colour-box on one and a portfolio on the other fluttering over the grass at the mercy of the capricious breeze was a neglected sheet of drawing-paper francine ran round the pond and picked up the paper just as it was on the point of being tilted into the water it contained a sketch in water-colours of the village and the woods and francine had looked at the view itself with indifference the picture of the view interested her ordinary visitors to galleries of art which admit students show the same strange perversity the work of the copyist commands their whole attention they take no interest in the original picture looking up from the sketch francine was startled she discovered a man at the window of the swiss summer-house watching her when you have done with that drawing he said quietly please let me have it back again he was tall and thin and dark his finely shaped intelligent face hidden as to the lower part of it by a curly black beard would have been absolutely handsome even in the eyes of a schoolgirl but for the deep furrows that marked it prematurely between the eyebrows and at the sides of the mouth in the same way an underlying mockery impaired the attraction of his otherwise refined and gentle manner among his fellow-creatures children and dogs were the only critics who appreciated his merits without discovering the defects which lessened the favourable appreciation of him by men and women he dressed neatly but his morning coat was badly made and his picturesque felt hat was too old in short there seemed to be no good quality about him which was not perversely associated with a drawback of some kind he was one of those harmless and luckless men possessed of excellent qualities who fail nevertheless to achieve popularity in their social sphere francine handed his sketch to him through the window doubtful whether the words he had addressed to her were spoken in jest or in earnest i only presumed to touch your drawing she added because it was in danger what danger he inquired francine pointed to the pond if i had not been in time to pick it up it would have been blown into the water do you think it was worth picking up putting that question he looked first at the sketch then at the view which it represented then back again at the sketch the corners of his mouth turned upward with a humorous expression of scorn 
Madam Nature, he said, I beg your pardon. With those words, he composedly tore up his work of art into small pieces and scattered them out of the window. What a pity, said Francine. He joined her on the ground outside the cottage. Why is it a pity? he asked. Such a nice drawing. It isn't a nice drawing. You're not very polite, sir. He looked at her and sighed as if he pitied such a young woman for having a temper so ready to take offence. In his flattest contradictions, he always preserved the character of a politely positive man. Put it in plain words, miss, he replied. I have offended the predominant sense in your nature, your sense of self-esteem. You don't like to be told even indirectly that you know nothing of art. In these days everybody knows everything and thinks nothing worth knowing after all. But beware how you presume on an appearance of indifference, which is nothing but conceit in disguise. The ruling passion of civilized humanity is conceit. You may try the regard of your dearest friend in any other way and be forgiven. Ruffle the smooth surface of your friend's self-esteem, and there will be an acknowledged coolness between you which will last for life. Excuse me for giving you the benefits of my trumpery experience. This sort of smart talk is my form of conceit. Can I be of use to you in some better way? Are you looking for one of our young ladies? Francine began to feel a certain reluctant interest in him when he spoke of our young ladies. She asked if he belonged to the school. The corners of his mouth turned up again. I'm one of the masters, he said. Are you going to belong to the school too? Francine bent her head with a gravity and condescension intended to keep him at his proper distance. Far from being discouraged, he permitted his curiosity to take additional liberties. Are you to have the misfortune of being one of my pupils? he asked. I don't know who you are. You won't be much wiser when you do know. My name is Alban Morris. Francine corrected herself. I mean, I don't know what you teach. Alban Morris pointed to the fragments of his sketch from nature. I am a bad artist, he said. Some bad artists become royal academicians. Some take to drink. Some get a pension and some, I am one of them, find refuge in schools. Drawing is an extra at this school. Will you take my advice? Spare your good father's pocket. Say you don't want to learn to draw. He was so gravely in earnest that Francine burst out laughing. You are a strange man, she said. Wrong again, miss. I am only an unhappy man. The furrows in his face deepened. The latent humour died out of his eyes. He turned to the summer-house window and took up a pipe and tobacco pouch left on the ledge. I lost my only friend last year, he said. Since the death of my dog, my pipe is the only companion I have left. Naturally, I am not allowed to enjoy the honest fellow's society in the presence of ladies. They have their own taste in perfumes. Their clothes and their letters reek with the fetid secretions of the musk dare. 
the clean vegetable smell of tobacco is unendurable to them allow me to retire and let me thank you for the trouble you took to save my drawing the tone of indifference in which he expressed his gratitude piqued francine she presented it by drawing her own conclusion from what he had said of the ladies and the musk dare i was wrong in admiring your drawing she remarked and wrong again in thinking you are a strange man am i wrong for the third time in believing that you dislike women i'm sorry to say you are right albin morris answered gravely is there not even one exception the instant the words passed her lips she saw that there was some secretly sensitive feeling in him which she had hurt his black brows gathered into a frown his piercing eyes looked at her with angry surprise it was over in a moment he raised his shabby hat and made her a bow there is a sore place still left in me he said and you have innocently hit it good morning before she could speak again he had turned the corner of the summer-house and was lost to view in a shrubbery on the westward side of the grounds End of chapter four